continuing this um, theme of running with the giants uh, today and we're looking at Moses and when I got told I was doing Moses, I was like, whew, Moses is, uh, you know, one of the most significant figures of the Old Testament. There's this, um, this guy who just did the most remarkable things and there's so much that we can learn from his life and his experiences, but there's, uh, there's so much richness in him. But I pulled a few things out that I really believe that God wants to share with you this morning. So if we had a quick flyover of Moses' life, had a look at the broader picture of his life, he had an extraordinary life, a life that maybe I don't know if anybody else has ever had. He had so many literal mountaintop experiences, it was phenomenal. You know, he was born into a time where the Israelites, the people of God, were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And he was born into this time frame. The Egyptians had the, the people of God, the Israelites, in forced labor. They were slaves. They were basically living a horrible life at the mercy of the Egyptians. And Moses is born into this time period and God calls him to be the one to bring freedom to bring them out of enslavement from the Egyptians. Big task, hey? You glad it wasn't you? <laughs> you know, during his uh, lifetime, just having that flyover view of Moses's life, during his lifetime, he's seen such remarkable things. And I just want to highlight a few of them. You know, I think some of these things would just purely freak me out if I seen them. And I sort of sometimes I actually pray, God, you know, like I'm cool. I don't need to see that many miracles. You know, you don't need to manifest things in front of me. I'm okay with that. I, I don't really need to experience that. It's probably not the best attitude to have. But Moses, you know, Moses had this stuff and it turned into a snake. I don't know about you. Freak me out. Suddenly this piece of wood I had turned into a snake. You know, he experienced the ten plagues. That's pretty full on. Who's read about the ten plagues, all these crazy things? You know, water turns to blood. There's frogs everywhere. It's just crazy when you think about it. Imagine seeing that firsthand, that miraculous thing that God's doing. You know, the parting of the Red Sea. And I've actually got a picture here because I had a look at this. I was thinking... I think sometimes we think this is not such a big deal. Yeah, God parted the water. You know, we've heard that story so many times. But have a look at this picture of Google Earth. And I've, Mark's helped me put a little thing around. That's the Red Sea there. And that's a zoomed out. It's huge, hey? That's a significant miracle that God can part the sea, hey? We're not talking about the small Swan River. We're talking about a significant body of water here. Miraculous, right? Moses struck a rock when the Israelites were complaining, which they did a lot, and water come out of it. So they're in the desert and they're whinging that they don't have water. So he strikes the rock and suddenly, boom, there's water. Miraculous, yeah? You know, he's seen God provide food from heaven every day. He experienced all these tremendous miracles. He had an amazing life. He got to speak to God and see God personally. And in that time, that was, that was not the thing that was to happen. You know, his face shone so bright from his encounter with God that the people made him cover it up because it just freaked them out so much. Amazing. But Moses' life, as amazing it was, 
was actually a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do. There are so many correlations between the life of Moses and the ultimate freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. So Moses ushered in this time of freedom with the Israelites, but it's actually a foreshadow of the freedom that comes through Jesus, the the freedom that we get to experience now, which is much more intimate and much more personal than they ever got to experience. What I do now is I want to zoom into a point of Moses' life right now and just sort of pull it apart a bit. And this is where Moses has... um, it's a time in Moses' life where he has killed an Egyptian person who was treating an Israelite really badly and then he's run off to Midian, which is actually quite some distance and considering they didn't have planes or cars, it's, he ran pretty far. So he's gone off into the desert he, and he's, he's run so far that he's actually planted himself there for 40 years. He's married, he's got kids, he's settled in, he's like... I'm not going back there. So we zoom into his life right there at this point in time where he's run away from his problems and he's just set up camp. He's had his family and he's just going about his business. And so we go into Exodus 3, 7 to 10 and we're going to read it out and then we're going to break it down. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen... So let me just skip back a sec. So he's in this place and God appears to him and God has this conversation with him. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pe- all the Hittites, Hivites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Who comes up with these names? It's crazy. So now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites out, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this is the point we're entering into Moses' life now. So if we just look at, if you just flick to the next slide, if we look at this, the first bit of what God says is God sees and he hears and he is concerned. But quite often when we're in the middle of our obstacles, our challenges, when we're in the middle of our struggles, that is the very first thing that we lose sight of, is that God sees us, God hears us, and God is intimately concerned about us. You know, we lose sight of the fact that God is actually right there with us in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that thing that we're facing, God is right there. But it's always the first thing we lose sight of. And we are the first ones to say, why is he not responding to my cry? Why has he not fixed this for me yet? Can anybody relate to this? I can. It's the first thing we do. And then we go, why do I have to go through I'm so guilty of this. Why do I have to go through this? These are the things that in the midst of an obstacle, of a difficult time, of a struggle, these are the things that come to the surface. And we lose perspective. 
We lose perspective of what God is doing in the situation. We lose perspective that God sees, he hears, and he's concerned. You know, who's heard that saying, can't see the forest for the trees? You're so consumed by the trees in front of you that you can't see the broader picture of that, the fact you're in a forest. You know, we, at this point, we become so overwhelmed, don't we? We have this horizontal perspective of what's going on and we lose the vertical perspective. And if you think about that in terms of maybe a Google Earth image, you know, we lose the capacity to zoom out and look at the broader aspect of it. We've only got that, that horizontal perspective of seeing what's in front of us. But we can be confident in this situation, in the middle of whatever you're facing, you can be absolutely certain, absolutely confident that God sees what you're going through, God hears your prayers, and God is concerned. He is interested and invested in your life, yeah? I heard this joke the other day. Who wants to hear a joke? (laughs) Jokes are good, hey? Churches should do more jokes. So this man says to God, what's a million years to you? God responds, oh, it's just like a second. So this guy then goes, oh, well, what's a million dollars to you? And God responds with, well, it's just like a silver coin. So the guy goes, oh, cool. Can I have one of those coins? And God says, yeah, give me a sec. It's funny, huh? <laughs> you know, we lose perspective, don't we? So Psalm 94 says, For you a thousand years are passing, are as, tongue-tied today, for you a thousand years are as a passing day as brief as a few night hours. Perspective. So when you're in the middle of a challenge, when you're in the middle of a struggle, when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, it's important to keep a vertical perspective on the situation. Now I want to give you some practical tips because I'm a practical person. So here's some practical tips. You're going you're gonna to love this. It's, it's world-changing, right? You're ready for some world-changing practical tips that you can do when you're in the midst of a struggle in a difficult time? Anybody? Yes, excellent. Well, the first thing is you can pray, you can worship, and you can read the Word of God. It's profound, isn't it? It's amazing, life-changing. You're all like, oh, I've heard that so many times. Well, it's because it's truth, Right? You can't get healthy if you eat pizza all the time, can you? I know, it's disappointing. You can't, you know, I want to eat chocolate all the time and stay healthy, but unfortunately that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. So the truth is, if you pray, you worship, and you read the Bible consistently, God will be speaking to you. He will be giving you that vertical perspective of the situation, and you will stay spiritually healthy even during those difficult times, yeah? So that's the first thing we can do. The second thing we can do is set up our support team. So you think about that. If you're going through a difficult time, you need people standing with you who can encourage you, who can support you, who can lift you up in prayer and just keep you going on, keep pointing you back to Jesus. If you were stupid enough to do the rottenness to 
the Cottesloe Rotness swim. I'm sorry if anybody's ever done that. But if you were silly enough to ever do that, you would need a support network, right? You would not be crazy enough to do that on your own, to just jump in the water and swim from Cottesloe to Rottnest on your own, would you? That'd be crazy. So you need a team of people with you because you can be guaranteed at some point in that swim, it's going to get hard, yeah? It's going to get difficult. And you're going to need someone there encouraging you, supporting you, passing you a drink. And it's the same when you're going through a difficult time. And in fact, it's the same in life. You need people in your corner who are God-fearing people, who that you trust, that you can share with, who can keep you accountable, who can egg you on and encourage you, yeah? It's easy, yeah? So that's my two practical tips for you. <laughs> I hope nobody's done the rottenness swim. <laughs> Just insulted you there. All right, so point number two, if we go to back to Exodus, God always has a plan. God always has a plan. So he says in verse 8 to 9, So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. From the time God created mankind, he had a plan. He had a plan in place. You know, he wanted freedom he wanted relationship with his people and he had a plan. When Adam and Eve stuffed up in the Garden of Eden, God did not call the Holy Spirit and Jesus into a crisis meeting to work out what they were going to do because he already had a plan. They did not need to sit down and strategize, uh-oh, they stuffed that up, what are we going to do? God always has a plan of what he's going to do. You know, when the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years, God had a plan. The Israelites might not have liked that it took 400 years, but God had a plan. You know, and the struggles and the obstacles that we face in our life, the challenges, you can be sure that God has a plan for you to walk out of that because he always has a plan. You know, God does not want you stuck in your situations. God's heart for you is that you have freedom in him. You know, he does not want his people separated from him. God wants them in relationship with him. God's ultimate plan, we see the fulfillment of God's ultimate plan through Jesus. Where Jesus brings us into right relationship with God, brings us close to God. That's God's ultimate plan is that we are connected with him in relationship. And, you know, we go through all these things in life. We're always faced with struggles and challenges. But you can be confident that God has a plan to walk you through that. He's not going to leave you stuck in that situation. He's not going to say, that's okay, you're all right, just stay there. Because he hears, he sees and he is concerned and he has a plan for you, yeah? And the last one, you're going to love this. God is sending you. God is sending you. So have a look at Exodus 3 verse 10. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is sending Moses and God is sending us. I love the dialogue I actually laughed out loud, lol, 
when I read this again the other day, the conversation that follows right after this that Moses has with God. I don't know if it's popping into your mind, but it is hilarious. And I'm just going to run you through this conversation. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's quite large, so I encourage you to read it. But Moses has this conversation with God. God said, I am sending you. And Moses says to him, who am I that I should do this? Straight up, Moses is like, nah. No, I don't think so, God. Can you imagine, like, you're literally talking to God in a burning bush. Freak out again. But, you know, you're talking to God in a you know, so he's very manifest in front of you. And you're like, no, nah, God, I don't think so. That's, that takes some courage, hey? Which God responds. God's so caring, so patient, so kind. God responds to him with an encouragement, you know, it's okay. I'll be with you. I'm with you. You can do this. Right? And you think Moses would be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right, God. I could do that. But Moses is like not convinced he's not convinced that the israelites are going to listen to him so he questions god again and then god responds patiently again with instructions on what to do you know he says do this do that it'll be okay and still moses is like yeah no i don't think so i don't think they're going to listen to me I don't think I'm just, I'm not the right person for this, really. You should just pick someone else. Come on, God. This is just not right, the right fit for me. I don't think I'm the right person for this. I've got a lot going on in Midian. I've got a wife. I've got kids. Is there someone else that can do this? Can we just say that to God? Well, we do say that to God, don't we? You know, God's so patient still. He says to Moses, says, what do you got in your hand? He goes, oh, I've got my staff. So he goes, okay, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. God's like, you know, show them this. They'll, they'll believe that it's me. And uh, still he's not sure. Then he tells him to put his hand inside his coat and he pulls his hand out and it's all leprous. I don't know what the right, <laughs> how you write. So it's got leprosy all over it. It's all leprosy. <laughs> That's really bad. Anyway, so he says, put it back in, and it comes out, and it's all healed. Remarkable signs, hey? Of course people are going to listen to you when you show miraculous signs, yeah? So God shows him, he says, do these things, and uh, they'll believe you. And still, he says, if they still don't believe you, just get a bit of water from the Nile and tip it on the ground, and it will turn into blood. Remarkable, hey? Miraculous. If you've seen that, would you believe that was God? Yeah? No? Absolutely. So he tells them these three miraculous signs to show to people if they don't believe him. And at this point, you think Moses would be confident, wouldn't you? You think he would start questioning God's call on his life to do this. But no, Moses doesn't. You kind of start to wonder about Moses' mental health at this point when he's questioning God like this. Moses is still like, oh, God, you know, I'm not a great public speaker. I get really confused and I got this stutter. And so, yeah, oh, someone else, 
And God's right back at him with a rebuke. He's getting annoyed now. He's getting annoyed at Moses and he tells him, don't worry, I've got a plan. You've got this. I'm in control. God says to him, I am in control. And at this point, you think Moses is like, yeah, okay, all right. You're right, God. You've got this. You're in control. It's not about me. It's about you. But no, Moses still is not there yet. And Moses at this point straight out says to God, if you could just get someone else, that'd be great. Been through this whole dialogue and after all this, he's just straight out, yeah, no, can you just pick someone else? I don't want to do it. And then God gets angry. He gets angry with him. And tells him, go get your brother Aaron and he will speak for you. God is not letting him off the hook here. God is just telling him, go and do it. Has anybody had a similar dialogue with God when God has asked them to do something? I know I have at times. Can you relate to this? You think, no, I can't do what you're asking me to do, God. Someone else would definitely be better at that than me. That's definitely too hard for me to do. Or I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not talented enough to do that. I'm not good looking enough to do that. We come up with all these excuses. Who's going to listen to me, God? These are the conversations that we have with God. I think it's hilarious that we have that example from Moses because when we think about Moses, we think about this giant in the faith, don't we? We think about this man who's done miraculous things, yet at the point where God asks him to go, he comes up with all these excuses as to why he shouldn't go. But God has a plan and he has a purpose for all of us. God has set you free so that you can be free and help other people be free. You know, he continues to bring transformation into your life and freedom from things in your life so then you can help other people in their lives. God does not invite you into the kingdom and point you to a recliner chair, give you a TV remote and a chair and say, park up, be comfortable, enjoy life. That's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not passive. It's not comfortable all the time. God is asking you to go and make a difference in someone's life. God is asking you to go and show freedom to other people. You know, God is asking of you and me and everyone that comes into the kingdom to be a reflection of him in our workplaces, in our families. That's a hard one sometimes in our friendship groups, in our neighbourhoods and our communities. Because those are the places that are filled with people who don't know Jesus. Those are the places that are filled with people who need hope and freedom in him. And God is saying to you, go into those places and be a reflection of me. So what will your response be today to him? Will it be like Moses where you argue it out before you finally give in to the call of God? Will you respond immediately and say, yes, because it's not about me, it's about others? Will you respond with a, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not all those things, but it's not about me. It's about you, God, and what you can do through me. Or will you shy away from the call of God in your life? What will your response be today to the call of God to go out into those places and be a reflection of him? Will you say yes? Will you say no? I hope you say yes. And I want to encourage you that God sees, he hears And he is concerned about you, he's concerned about me, and he's concerned about those that are out there. He hears your prayers, he sees your situation, and God has a plan and a purpose for your situation and for everybody else.